What's going on, y'all? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Michelle Hearn on the podcast. I was on her show last week, and we hit it off. She is a former high-carbohydrate long-distance runner. Now she is a low-carb keto carnivore long-distance runner, and she is killing it. She is also a dietitian. We dive into all things nutrition, and we dive into, like, the mindset, and not necessarily just the mindset, but, like, how the diet has impacted, you know, your your anxiety, your stress, your hormones. We, we go deeper than just the body composition aspect of it alone. So I think you're going to enjoy this podcast. I certainly did. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Michelle Hearn. And we are live. Michelle, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. I was on your podcast, I guess, a week ago now. Seems like it hadn't been that long. Um, and we, we talked about how I came to keto, kind of my backstory, but I I kind of fleshed out a little bit of your backstory, you know, behind the scenes and was kind of reading up on you a little bit. And it sounds like you've got a pretty interesting backstory as well as to how you went from eating a whole bunch of carbohydrates to finding keto. So I'd love to kind of dive into that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we'll go way back. I, um, I'm originally from Plano, Texas, right outside the Dallas area. I'm the youngest of four. I've got three older sisters. And, you know, I grew up, uh, growing up was, was, was pretty tough. My, my mom had a pretty severe bipolar disorder. And I understand the dynamics of that now as an adult, but certainly as a child, as a young person, you know, you just, you don't understand. You don't understand why you're your mom is going through periods of mania and periods where she'd be just severely depressed. You know, she'd lock herself in a room for days. Um, she also struggled with pretty severe eating disorder tendencies. She would, you know, starve herself and then, you know, binge. And so, you know, kind of as, as a child, I, I grew up with the message that like being fat was bad. Fat mm-hmm. is bad. Don't be fat. And we also, I mean, you know, all my sisters kind of grew up really, um, you know, kind of trying to take care, take care of my mom as much as we could, you know? So that was, that was really tough. So, you know, we all are, we're very successful in school. You know, my, my sisters have went on to be MDs. My second oldest sister is a veterinarian, but at the age of 12, I really started struggling with, um, you know, you're in middle school, my own self-esteem. And, you know, this of course was before cell phones and before social media and, um, but unfortunately, like before you knew it, you know, my dad, my dad was working crazy hours just because my mom was, was struggling a lot and unable really to work. So I ended up uh, losing a lot of weight, getting really, really thin. And nobody really, not even myself at that point, really knew what was going on. I just knew that I was restricting. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I had control over something. And, you know, I, it, it just started out as kind of dieting and um, and then it, you know, spiraled into where I, you know, I ended up getting really, really sick. And by the time anyone knew what was going on, I actually passed out in school, ended up in a hospital. And, you know, a few weeks later, I was shipped to Wickenburg, Arizona. I was in a treatment center for anorexia. And I was almost feet tall. I was uh, 4'11 and about uh, half an inch. And I weighed 57 and a half pounds. So and how old were you? My BMI was 11 point. I was 12. At 57 yeah. pounds, almost five 57. feet tall? 57.5 pounds, yeah. I, uh, and you know what's interesting? Like I, It's challenging because as an adult, I, <laughs> I hear that and I'm like, oh my God, like 
how did we miss it? Like, how did my parents not know? You know, how, how did you not know your daughter was, you went from, you know, almost 90 pounds, you know, I was, I was very active, I ran around a lot. But, you know, once again, like, my mom was bipolar. She was, um, she was pretty absent. And uh, this is certainly not to blame her. Like, I love her. We have a great relationship now. I can't imagine what it's like to try to try to raise three children and, you know, try to work, um, you know, when she was able to work and to deal with a, you know, an undiagnosed mental disorder. So, so when I went to, when I was at the treatment center, you know, I was 12, I, my parents were there with me and, you know, they, they went to go talk to the doctor and they said, Hey, you need to stay here. We're going to go, you know, across the hall to chat with the doctor wants to talk to us privately. And of course, like any good 12 year old, <laughs> I said, okay. And then as soon as they were out of sight, you know, I, I went to get to as close as the door as possible. I wanted to know what they were saying. Um, and the doctor had a voice that carried. So I'll never forget. I heard him say, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Hearn, that's my parents. Um, she's probably not going to survive. Like you need to be ready. Um, we, she has heart damage. She's, you know, got, she's could have, you know, permanent kidney damage. Um, there's less, you know, you told my parents, there's less than a 10% chance she's going to survive. We just don't see people with this low of a BMI. My BMI was 11.7 survive. So I heard, I heard my dad start to cry. I heard my mom start to cry. Um, and he went on real quick just to say like, you know, she does survive. She probably is not going to be able to to be normal, you know, she won't be able to play or maybe even, you know, run or do anything because her heart is so weak. And at that point, um, you know, I heard them kind of start to shuffle around like they're about to get up. So of course I, you know, hightailed it back to where I was supposed to be. And my only thought at that point, you know, um, well, two thoughts was I, I didn't want my, the last memory of my mother to, um, <laughs> I get a little emotional talking about this to see me cry because my parents were going to leave. I was going to be at the treatment center for at least 30 days, you know, and it was in Arizona. My family lived in Texas. So I like, I tried to be really strong, you know, and my mom came out and she just straight up said like, Oh, Hey, they said, everything's going to be fine. And I, you know, and I remember thinking like liar, but <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's right. I'm going to be fine. And my dad was crying. And, um, yeah, that was a really, so like, did, <laughs> did you know, kind of the the brevity of this or did you did you just like what 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 were your thoughts you know as a 12 year old did you feel like something was wrong with you like bad wrong or was it just like I knew I was in a lot of pain I I knew um I I hurt every day you know my body hurt quite a bit um and like anyone can tell you who's gone through you know middle school just I mean being growing up is hard like growing up and I, you know, I wore super baggy clothes and I isolated and I, I kind of pushed away any, any friends I had. And I was super close to my sisters growing up and I pushed them away. Um, but people were so, um, people were pretty mean people were pretty terrible. I had, you know, I was bullied you know, relentlessly, um, once to where I was, you know, pushed on the ground, actually cracked my elbow. I mean, I was just so, so thin, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, at that point, a couple of things, one, I remember, thinking like I was scared, you know, I was really scared, but at least at that point, like I just, I didn't want to see, I didn't want my parents, specifically my mom to like, to, to see me kind of break down. And two, I, and I, I'm going to write about this in my book. It's really difficult to, to say, but I was relieved. I was completely relieved. I didn't want to live like that anymore. Like every day I was hungry. I was cold. I could feel my, you know, your body's cannibalizing itself it's basically eating the muscle tissue so i 
yeah, I, I felt relieved. I remember thinking like, oh God, it's almost over, you know? And <laughs> at the wise age of 12, I remember thinking, you know, I had, I had a good life. I, I, I was really close to my next oldest sister who's like 14 months older than I am. So at that point, I remember thinking like, all I have to do is to smile until my parents leave. And then pretty soon this, this will be done. I'm not going to have to suffer anymore. That's crazy. I mean, I, like those are thoughts that 12 year olds should never have to think. <laughs> yeah, I know it's really it's really interesting as an adult to look back and to be like, wow, that I, I and I would encourage, you know, anybody who's suffering like in the throes of an eating disorder or like you know, hang in there because it's it's when you're stuck in, you know, when you're in that much pain and we'll, we can talk certainly a little bit about the psychology of that, like, you know, death sounded like, oh, my God, I just don't have to deal with this anymore, you know, so. Um, so fast forward, you know, that was my, that was my first experience with like the medical community. You know, I was put in an inpatient hospital and, you know, it saved my life. So I am beyond grateful. You know, I was immediately put on a 24 hour tube feeding system. Um, I was, so I was getting calories that way. I was immediately put on a really high carbohydrate, high calorie diet. And, uh, it was a horrible month, like, cause my system was so damaged, mm-hmm. you know, that it hurt to eat. I had terrible pain. Um, severe anxiety. I was put on, you know, five different prescription medications. So, you know, as a 12 year old, I'm on all these antipsychotic, anti, you know, um, depressant. And it was also my first um, time I met with a dietitian. And I'll never forget, I sat with her and she was just so cold, like really straightforward. And I would ask her questions and I didn't like her answers, you know, and, and, and to be fair, like people with eating disorders can, can be very manipulative. But I just, I remember I straight up, like, after our meeting, looked at her and I said, you know, I think you're terrible. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I said, I'm going to be a dietitian someday and I'm going to be so much better than you. <laughs> Good for you. There's, and, there's a I lot mean, of like that. <laughs> to her credit, she was like, all right, well, you're going to have to get better first. And I was like, oh, I am, you know. And so as I started to to gain weight and to, um, you know, get get better like it, it turned out that like oh my gosh I'm 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 not gonna die I'm gonna survive and so you know I put on enough weight to where I was able to leave the treatment center but you know unfortunately you, you come back into that same that same situation at home and I, I struggled pretty hard for like the next year um you know relapse lost weight but then you know I, I started spending more time this was the summer before I went into my freshman year of high school with my sister Kristen my next oldest sister and just you know, I just started kind of kind of letting go. I started eating more. I started eating more what I'd say, quote unquote, normal foods and, uh, you know, was able to, to gain enough weight to where I was back to a normal weight. And yeah, I was that was kind of a big turning point in my recovery um, going into to high school. So. So like what what was like a typical day of eating for you, you know, there when it was the worst, like I guess not typical day of eating, but typical day of not eating, I guess is a better way to put it. Oh, yeah. So when I was the, – the worst time in my eating disorder, it, it became like a game. And I imagine many people that have struggled with anorexia will say like I had, you know, binders of how many calories I ate versus how many calories I would burn, um, you know, when I would go. I'd go on these long walks before school and after school. Um, so probably the – you know, I ate I – would, I would drink like two Diet Cokes in the morning and then – you know, I wouldn't eat breakfast. And then at lunchtime, when everyone went to eat lunch, I'd like sneak off and you know, hide in the bathroom and eat like half an apple, maybe. Um, and the less was better. If I only ate a fourth, I was, you know, proud of myself. And then our family had stopped uh, eating dinner together. So it was really easy to just 
just, you know, drink some coffee or eat a bunch of gum and just, you know, exercise into the night. Uh, and I did that as, as much as possible. So I actually lost weight relatively quickly. You know, it wasn't like this was a couple year process. I mean, it was within five to six months that I dropped from like, you know, 92 to 93 pounds to, you know, 57. Is there like a, like, was there an instance, you know, in your youth from like a bully or something that they were picking on you and being like too big. And then that kind of like resulted in this, this mentality that you had to lose more weight or like, what do you think triggered this craving to eat less and, and be smaller? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I was never, um, I was never overweight as a, as a child, you know, I was, I was really active. I love to, to play sports and run around and stuff. Um, definitely watching, I think watching my, my mom just constantly, my dad, my dad is a bigger guy. He's, um, he was overweight all of my childhood, kind of like constantly berate <laughs> my dad, you know, you're too fat, you need to lose weight. Um, and then I played soccer. I played soccer when I was in like sixth grade and, uh, fifth grade and sixth grade. And I loved it, you know, ran around the field. And then I remember, uh, one parent just said something and totally well-meaning just said, wow, her and you're looking lean and mean. And I remember thinking like, you know, cause I wasn't getting this validation from home thinking like, wow, that's, I wonder, could I be leaner and meaner? You know, like what if I got a little faster and, and that's, that's one of the big problems with, you know, when you lose weight, you know, as an athlete, a lot of times, yeah, you do get faster. When I initially lost a little bit of weight, I felt great, you know, mm -hmm. but you know, it just kind of spiraled, spiraled out of control. It's tough because like, there's there's so many nuances here like people don't really think of food as a positive like this it's just constantly even this negative uh you know pers persona but like if you're an athlete you know you, you gotta totally change that thought process to think of it as like a fuel source and then eating food is good if you're eating good food you know yeah exactly we've given uh, a lot of times food you know especially for for young people growing up it can get like a moral value right mm -hmm. you are good if you eat these things you are bad if you eat these things and so i definitely associated you know as a young person like i am good if i eat an apple i am bad if i have you know a piece of cake or if i even even if i have like you know uh, me like a ground like we didn't you know i thought red meat like oh i'm bad if i have those things and so yeah. So, you know, I ended up, um, when I, when I gained weight, I really wanted to get back to playing sports. So I tried out for the basketball team, um, my, uh, freshman year of high school and I was only like five, two, I got cut and the PE teacher, or I'm sorry, the basketball coach was like, Oh, you're going to have to do PE. And I was like, I don't want to do PE. Like I, you know, I'd felt like, ah, I want to do another team sport. I just, you know, I, I was like, I, I feel like there's, I have some athletic talent. And she was like, well, there's this running thing you can do. And I didn't know anything about this running thing, but all I knew was um, where, where I went to high school, ninth and 10th grade was a separate building than 11th and 12th grade. So if you did cross country and track, you got to go run with the juniors and seniors. And I thought that was super cool. So I was like, all right, let's give this running thing a try. And I loved it. Like I fell in love with it. I'm, um, I naturally had a little bit of a knack for it. And, you know, you got to run off campus and we got to go explore some trails. And I just kind of, I don't know, it gave me a lot of, a lot of peace. And I found out really quickly, you know, a lot of people will say like, oh my gosh, is running can really, um, you know, cause issues with eating. But for me, it actually encouraged me because I had to eat in order to run. You know, I had to eat and fuel my body. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, so I had a really successful um, freshman year and my sophomore year I ended up uh, winning state as a sophomore in the state of Texas. And 
I was running great. Like I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm on top of the world. You know, I've come back from being so sick to, to winning. And I was, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a lot growing up. So I was thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a scholarship. And unfortunately I ended up getting with a club coach that really pressured us to like, Hey, if you want to be faster, you've got to lose weight. So I kind of got back in that cycle. And that's when I also shifted my diet at that at that point, I was eating a pretty high carbohydrate diet, but I was also eating a lot of of chicken, a lot of, um, you know, a little bit of beef, a lot, a lot of protein. Right. And then I switched to a vegetarian diet because they, you know, I was, I heard, oh, if you, if you cut out all meat, you know, you're going to, you're going to run faster. You're going to lose weight. That's what the coach was recommending? What? That's what the coach was recommending? Um, the coach, the coach was more just recommending like, Hey, you should, you should look into, you know, if you lose some weight, you're going to get faster. Cause mm-hmm. I had, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't big, big by any stretch of the imagination, but I definitely, you know, gained some weight my freshman year. And, um, uh, I, I looked, I would say like a, like a strong runner. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I had just, you know, talking with some friends and some other runners, they said, well, you know, if you cut out meat, then you're you could get faster. And, you know, so I started to look into it and it seemed to make sense. Like, okay, I'm going to have more carbohydrates. So I'm going to have more fuel. And it worked great. Like I was eating, you know, tons of like bagels and pasta and I was running great. I actually lost a little bit of weight and then it just came crashing down. Like I ended up, um, I was going to, going to class and I was running late. So I'm literally running and I remember feeling this weird like shift in my hip and I'm like, oh, whoa, that it hurt. Like I never experienced that kind of pain. And the next day of practice, I, I couldn't run. Like it just, it was like sharp shooting pains. And I mean, long story short, I had a stress fracture in my hip, like as a, you know, 18 year old and, you know, my coach and everyone else is like, look, this isn't normal, not in your hip. And so a bone density scan revealed that I, I had osteopenia in my hips and osteoporosis in my spine. So I'm 18 years old, and I'm being told that you have osteoporosis. And how long were you vegetarian at this point? It was like two years. Yeah, it was. It was at least. It was a little like a year and a half. Um, and you know, at that point, when I when I started, is probably about three months into it. You know, I lost my period. Um, but once again, I, I was being told by you know a club coach I was working with, like, "Hey, this is okay. You know, the leaner you are, the faster you're going to run." So unfortunately, you know, I just, I went with it. You know, I wanted a scholarship. I wanted to be successful. And, you know, at that time, it seemed to make sense. You know, it seemed like it was my ticket to a better life, you know. Um, and, you know, once once I got that bone density scan, I, it was kind of a wake-up call. And at, up to that point, I was, I was getting offers. You know, I was getting scholarship offers. I'd visited several colleges to go run. But, you know, after the bone density came back, you know, I had, I had to call them and say, like, look, this is what's going on. I still believe I'm going to be fine. I'm going to recover. And, I mean, everybody pulled offers off the table. Like, nobody's going to give a scholarship to someone. <laughs> Fair enough, you know, with osteoporosis. So I ended up um, immediately going on a Fosamax, a prescription. I, I got with a different club coach. And I I attribute him. His name's Terry Jessup uh, in Dallas to saving my running career, uh, maybe saving my life. I don't know. Uh, and, you know, immediately it was like, okay, we, we're going to get you healthy again. We're going to get you back to eating protein. We're going to get you back to eating fat because I'd restricted a lot of fat as well. And we're going to get you back to having fun because I was so serious. I mean, I just, 
you know, it was all, I was all business, right? You know, Mm -hmm. as an 18 year old, all I did was go to school and run, go to school and run. And so, yeah, I ended up, you know, walking onto the University of Arkansas. I ran there and it was a fantastic experience. Um, You know, I, I, I wish, I wish I could have finished my college running career out there, but unfortunately, you know, I had one other stress fracture um, and it was actually in the back of my hip. You know, I just, it took a long time to heal and, um, you know, it's a business when you're, when you're in division one college athletics. So I ended up, you know, not being able to continue running there and came back to Texas and, you know, ended up going, moving to Portland, Oregon to finish out my, my schooling. I did my last two years is, uh, completely online. Um, yeah. And then I became a dietitian. So actually I, as I was doing that too, you know, we kind of, it's, that's such a broad picture. I feel like we could talk for, you know, 10 hours with all the, the nuances, but you know, my whole, my whole, um, adolescence and into adult life, I struggled a lot with anxiety and depression, a really bad insomnia. And I just thought like, this is normal. Like this is, you know, what, what most people deal with. This is, I'm just under stress. I also struggled a lot with, um, you know, I was hungry a lot. I, I was, you know, I thought a lot about food. I obsessed a lot about it, but I was also told like, Hey, you know, during eating disorder recovery, like you're probably always going to struggle. You know, you may not act on these behaviors, but you're always going, it's always going to be in the back of your mind. So I thought like, that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. When, when you, when you switched over, uh, I, I definitely want to dive into the mindset, but before we do that, when you switched over, uh, and you were like eating vegetarian for a year and a half, two years, and then you got with this new doctor or this new coach, and they, they kind of totally switched directions on you. Had you eaten more fat and protein? Like, did you notice an instant benefit, or like was it delayed, or what? What was your thought process there? Oh yeah, no, it was it was it was quick, you know. And at that point, I think I was I was so low. I think you could have told me to do try anything different, and I would have been all about it. But I went from you know as a young person feeling suicidal. Like I'm, I don't want to live if I can't, you know, I can't run. I'm, I lost my scholarship. What am I going to do with my life to all of a sudden I had hope, you know? And, uh, I, I actually looked forward to the days I it's, it's, you know, and this is one of my like mottos as a dietitian, you know, as, as I've changed and evolved, like how I think about nutrition and food is when you're eating in a way that actually aligns with physiology, you know, when you start putting fat in your body, when you start putting protein in your body, when you stop eating so much sugars and, you know, things that don't necessarily serve your body, like your body heals. The body is amazing. And I immediately started to feel, feel better, you know, and I, I attribute that to being able to allow me to run in college. Unfortunately, I just done so much damage as a young person to my bone structure that, you know, it didn't, didn't have time to catch up. What about from like an anxiety standpoint, like you alluded to there? Did you notice that improve as well pretty much instantly? Yeah, you know, I, I felt quite a bit better. At that point, I was still, um, you know, I was still following. I still had a pretty decent amount of carbohydrates. So I my body healed really well. My anxiety was better. You know, my anxiety didn't get um, to where it is today until I, you know, really made some even like bigger nutritional changes but yeah it definitely improved when i added the, the fat for sure it's interesting because you know when you're going through middle school high school even into college like your your hormones are just all over the place both male female i mean you're, you're going through puberty you're going through all these changes and just everything is is out of whack and i feel like parents who are not in the nutritional know automatically just chalk that up as 
you know, oh, they're going through puberty, their hormones are changing, but it's like not really much thought given to it. And it's sad because you see so many children battling with eating disorders during this time, so much anxiety, so much uh, stress, like acne. I mean, just all this stuff is in a you know state of flux. But I feel like so much of that could correct course, you know, relatively quickly if their nutrition is more like, because you look at like what, what parents are feeding their kids as they go off to school or like what's in these school lunches. And it's the farthest thing from what your body, from a physiological standpoint, is supposed to be consuming. Absolutely. And, you know, as a now, um, as a dietitian, I worked in two different psychiatric facilities and, um, you know, I work in acute care right now. So, you know, I see diabetics, uh, trauma patients, a heart disease stroke. And, you know, what we're feeding people is like you said, it's pretty much the opposite of what a human, a human needs to like heal and to thrive. And yeah, you're right. We, we, we excuse all these things like, oh, you know, well, it's just they're, they're young, they're growing. So that's why they're, you know, they have really bad acne or, oh, that's why he's depressed. He's just, you know, the world sucks. Kids are under stress, all this stuff where, you know, what we're finding when it comes to anxiety. And I guess, um, you know, I'll really, really briefly, I, w- I want to share like how I got kind of into to carnivore and more of like a ketogenic diet specifically. But um yeah, it is, it is amazing what changes when, when we align our, ourselves with the human physiology. So just, just about a year ago, I, you know, long distance runner, I've still maintained a relatively high carbohydrate diet, even though I added back quite a bit of protein and fat. And I got to the point where I would go on runs and I just couldn't finish. I mean, I had, I had been able to run 10, 15 more miles without a problem. And I would go out for a mile or two and I was just getting these cold sweats and I, my muscles were hurting And, you know, I had so many people tell me like, hey, like, you know what, you're just, you're old, you're getting older, you know, you're not 21 anymore, I'm about to turn 37, you know, it's just, your time has passed, you're not going to be able to to run fast anymore. And I, at that point, really wanted to qualify for the Olympic trials and the marathon. So I was stubborn and I just, you know, I did what a lot of people do and I just doubled down, I ate more carbohydrates. And I ended up having such severe muscle pain that I couldn't even sleep through the night. And it kind of had a pivotal moment where, I woke up, it was like two in the morning and my muscles were hurting and I was so anxious. I, I got in my car, I drove to 7-Eleven, I got like three 10 pound bags of ice and came home, put them in the bathtub, sitting in this ice bath, right? And uh, my wife comes in and is like, eh, maybe we should think about trying something else. You know, it's like, okay, this, this clearly isn't working. And so I was like, I'm done. I'm not going to be able to run anymore. I, I'm going to just, you know, be a normal person. I'm going to just go to work. It'll be fine. And I'd kind of given up on my, my dream of being a distance runner. But at, at that time, I was like, I just I can't be hurting all day, every day. So I was like, well, you know what? I've always wanted to do the ketogenic diet. I, I value um, keeping blood sugar stable. That's something I've always thought could be beneficial to human health, right? Like, mm-hmm you know, I knew as a nation, we ate too many carbohydrates. I thought personally as a runner, I would need them. But I thought, you know, now that I'm not, not going to run, I'll just eat a lot of protein and fat. And I was doing some research on this diet. And I came across Zach Bitters, who's a, you know, the current 100 mile world record holder. And I was talking about he follows a low carb diet. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then I saw, um, I learned about Sean Baker and the carnivore diet. And I was like, oh my God, that's, that's crazy. Like, I like meat. Meat's good for you, but you know who who would eat all meat? Like that's that's ridiculous. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and so, 
but the more, you know, so I, I started to say like, well, clearly, you know, I was like, I started to look up the clinical trials because I was like, you know, surely this much fat isn't good for you. And, and I would tell anybody and you know, all your listeners, critical thinkers, there is not one clinical trial available. It, if, email it to me if you find it. I have not found one clinical trial that shows that fat is bad for your heart. In the absence of carbohydrates, fat is the best thing you can possibly put in your body. Like we know that we have, we need, the human body needs fat. The mm -hmm. human body needs protein. The human body requirement for carbohydrates is zero. And I just learning this, you know, and really kind of internalizing it. I was like, my whole life I've been taught I need all these carbohydrates and I've been eating all these carbohydrates. So I just kind of went all in. I said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to eat a lot of protein and fat. Like I didn't have a specific macronutrient recommendations or I wasn't putting that on myself, but I'm like, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm not going to measure. I'm just going to see how this goes. Cause I wasn't running. So I was like, well, let's just see. And, um, you know, the first week was challenging. I would tell anybody who's, who's interested in or carnivore diet to um, get some salt, make sure you get plenty of salt and electrolytes. I, I kind of skipped that part. So I had some muscle cramps. Uh, and I also, my, my wife was very worried. She was not on board. She didn't want nothing to do with this. She said, this sounds eating disordered, you know, and to her credit, she'd seen me struggle so badly with anxiety and with different diets and things over the years. Um, but I was like, you know what, let me just try, let me try this. You know, what I'm doing isn't working. Right. And yeah. And then two weeks later, um, my muscle pain was gone. Like I wasn't hurting. And so, and I had energy, like I could get through the whole day and I wasn't constantly looking at the clock. I wasn't hungry. You know, I, um, and I also kind of like was looking forward to work, which, you know, hopefully most people like what they do. But at that time I was just so stressed and anxious that I almost dreaded going to work where now I was kind of excited about it. I was much more pleasant to be around. And um, the fourth week, my wife actually said, hey, come here, you know, sit down. And she's like, so I'm not sure if I like this way of eating yet, but this is the least I've seen your anxiety in the 11 years I've known you, you know? Um, and that was kind of profound to me, like 11 years. And I was, I was that much better, you know? I was, I just... I can't even, you almost have to experience it. Like if you've ever dealt with depression, if you've ever dealt with like suicidal ideation, if you're just think like, there's no hope for me, like this is the way I'm always going to be. Um, I just, I can't, I can't describe how grateful I am for this way of eating. And that's just why I'm, you know, I'm so thankful for, you know, you and for advocates that are, that are getting the word out. It, I mean, that's, that's what's so cool about it to me. Like there's, you know, I have to pinch myself to make sure I'm awake sometimes because like I've built a business, I've built a brand, I've built a lifestyle around the food that I put into my mouth. When you stop and think about it and like peel it back to the simplest form, like it's just crazy. But when you actually look at what it is and how it's impacted me, you, and so many others, it's like how can you not feel passionate about it? How can you not take this information and just run with it and feel alive and feel like you owe it to the world to like spread the news? Because so many people have gone through so many years of just misery i was there you've been there so many others have been there as well and if this this way of eating this lifestyle can have a positive impact on that and give you a newfound zeal for life like you owe it to yourself and others to spread the word yes i mean absolutely and that's why like 
I just couldn't, I couldn't be silent anymore. You know, I, as a dietitian, I'm not allowed to teach this way of eating. You know, I can't tell any of our patients in the hospital about it because it's not within the guidelines. And it was starting to hurt my soul. You know, like I, I have this information yet I'm not allowed to share it. And I've had several people, um, some dietitians email me, reach out. Cause I have a very, um, I'm very open on my Instagram saying, this is what I believe. This is the, what I follow. And people have told me like, look, you could get into trouble. They, you need to be very careful what you say. You don't want someone to come after your license. And I just come back to saying, you know what? I have the clinical data. I'm citing facts. Um, you know, and I'm just, I'm not afraid to, you know, when you, like you said, when you, when you have this information and it's literally changed my life, like I am, I'm, I'm going to be able to live a really exciting, vibrant life, like free of anxiety, free of depression. Uh, oh, and also like I, I didn't share a few weeks, about two weeks into eating mostly carnivore, I, um, I had so much more energy and my muscles weren't hurting. So, you know, my wife was like, okay, you're annoying me. Can you just go for a run? Like, can you go run a couple miles, <laughs> get some of your energy out? Right. And, uh, I was like, I was afraid. Cause I was like, well, I, I really haven't been eating many carbs. I don't know if I can run. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll go for a mile. And I left the house and I came back like over an hour later. Like I, that's when I was sure, like there's something to this. And I mean, and now I, you know, I run about 70 to 80 miles a week, um, very low carbohydrate and I feel amazing. So the fact that we have prescribed these really high carbohydrate diets have nothing to do with health. And I'm going to write this, you know, we're going to discuss this in my book. Like there is a long history of, um, corporate influence. You know, my, my academy, the Academy of uh, Nutrition, uh, who is the board of all dietetics, actually is sponsored by PepsiCo, General Mills. Um, their big conference last year was sponsored by GlaxoKleinSmith that makes diabetic drugs. Uh, and if you tell this to any other dietitians, you know, say, hey, what do you think about this? Most people are like, oh, yeah, this is terrible. But mm-hmm. they just kind of feel powerless to do anything about it. And I'm like, we have to speak out. This is this is not about health. You know, we're feeding we're feeding people lots of car- carbohydrates, and we are seeing the effects, and not just the diabetes and the heart disease, but as you pointed out earlier, um, amongst young people, mental illness is increasing exponentially. I mean, and not just like, oh, we're seeing twice as many. There's a four thousand percent increase in bipolar disorder among um, uh, people 18 years or younger. Like this is this is a problem. Yeah, it's a it's a problem. It's a big problem, and it it it's got. I mean, it goes so much beyond just the money. Like I, I know money rules a lot of things. And that's that's oftentimes where people's mind goes. But it, it it pains me to see people make these decisions based solely off of the financial gain that can be made from it, as opposed to what can have an impact on people's you know longevity and the time they can spend with their loved ones. You know, it's just not worth it. Oh, absolutely. And there's so many, you know, there's so many dynamics to to food and to nutrition. And we've we've kind of created a narrative in nutrition that like we just need to eat in moderation. We need to eat this balanced diet. But unfortunately, one, there's no definition to moderation, you know, and unfortunately, the our body does a very poor job of regulating carbohydrates. You know, you can if you eat like let's say you eat a bagel, you know, your blood sugar is going to increase. insulin's going to come in blood sugar decreases, you get a crash, and then you're going to be hungry two hours later. Not only, you know, so you're going to want to eat more, but you're also going to have stress hormones, cortisol, all these other things happen, you know? So we've like, we've kind of created this narrative that like, oh, all foods are okay. All these things are fine. You know, soda in moderation is fine. Cookies in moderation are fine. 
when in reality, you know, maybe if moderation meant like once a year, (laughs) but to most people, moderation means like a couple times a day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, The moderation concept is, is definitely, it's just, I don't know. I've been kind of more of a advocate for elimination rather than moderation, especially when you're eliminating things that you know to not be moving the needle closer towards the the positive, you know, and if, if, like for me personally, I've not found one benefit from the carbohydrates. Like I've been strict keto for, I don't know, five, six years now. And from a performance standpoint, like I just, there's no science that I've seen backing the, the, the need for carbs from a performance standpoint. And for one, you can't really even rely on a lot of the science because so many of the clinical studies based off of carbohydrates in performance athletes is based off of a comparison between ketogenic athletes that have not really even been keto adapted for any length of time. So it's not really a fair comparison. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even when you look at like the, the recommended, you know, dietary guidelines, those are also based on the idea that you're going to be eating so many carbohydrates, you know, um, like our recommendations for vitamin C and magnesium and all these things are, are, are skewed because if you're not eating a lot of those processed foods, you know, you're not, you may not even need as many of those other micronutrients. Like it's really, it's really unfortunate. Um, you know, a lot of the studies are pretty terrible. I always tell people too, if you are looking at studies, make sure you not only read the study, read through like how it was done, but also how it was funded. Um, there's a lot of studies funded by, you know, big, big corporations. Do you like, how long have you been strict keto now carnivore? Um, so I started in November. So I have been, what do we know? Oh gosh, so almost like six six months. And have you noticed a pretty profound difference? Because you've only just recently started running uh, long distances again, correct? Yeah, well, no, I was running long distances. I mean, I've been running long distances. I've done 12 marathons. I've qualified for Boston, you know, 12 times. I was uh, a little over 10 minutes away from qualifying for the Olympic trials. So I was, you know, I was, I would say I was a, you know, a little above average runner when I was um, <laughs> a little above. pretty. <laughs> That's pretty much. I'd say you're a lot above. Uh, thank you. Um, when I was following the higher carbohydrate diet, but the yeah, the biggest change when I went strict carnivore, well, two things were, were were profound. Like the muscle recovery was, I can't even describe it. Like I, I like to, I like to joke. I'm like, God, I'm like Wolverine. Like I used to when I was a high carbohydrate athlete. If I ran like 18 or 20 miles on a Saturday morning, like you would just have to know that, okay, the rest of Saturday, Michelle's on the couch, Michelle's not doing much, you know, I almost had to kind of plan my life around, like, I'm not going to be able to go to work that day, or I'm not going to be able to, um, you know, be very active that day, where, like, I actually ended up, um, a couple months ago, I did a 30-mile run, and then I came home, and we worked in the yard for a couple hours, like, the, the fact, the, Carbohydrates, the process of glycolysis, just breaking down carbohydrates causes a lot of, you know, inflammation and oxidation. So when you're not doing that, when you're utilizing ketones or when you're utilizing, um, you know, quite a bit of protein, when you're using a process called gluconeogenesis, which is building up a protein, you know, uh, I'm sorry, building carbohydrates from those protein, you know, amino acid skeletons, you're having so much less inflammation. And I was also getting so much more amino acids and, um, you know, the carnitine, carnosine, B12, all the good uh, nutrition from the meat that my recovery like went through the roof. Like I was, I was a much nicer person to be around. Like I just wasn't hurting. I wasn't a sore. Um, so that was huge because that like gave me hope because I went from like, okay, I'm not going to even be able to run a couple miles to I started dreaming like I started dreaming big. I actually reached back out to uh, Zach Bitters, 
and mm-hmm. um, was like, hey, uh, do you want to coach me? Because I want to I want to try something crazy. And so I was signed up for a 50 mile race. I was signed up May, May 9th was supposed to be my first ultra. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're recording this during the COVID um, pandemic that got canceled. But I am planning on doing a 50 mile race in the fall. So, yeah, recovery was the first one. I, I noticed that immediately. Um, and then the, the second one, like, I mean, I just keep going back to, um, you know, my anxiety was just so much less. Like, I just, I can't even describe how much happier, how much just easier going I was. And also, I wasn't hitting the wall. You know, you're, I wasn't limited. Like, I used to have to take a goo or a gel or something, you know, at least, at least every couple hours. We're now like I did this past um, Saturday. I ran with a friend. We did 18 miles in the trail, so it takes you a little longer. I think it took us like a little over uh, two hours. But yeah, we just had water. Like you don't have to be worried that you're going to run out of fuel. Um, and so that's just a really, a really cool thing. Like everything in my life has become so much better. You know, I'm I'm a better. I, I work better. I'm a better um, employee. I'm a better partner. I'm a better runner. Um, and it's all because I'm following a diet that it, I believe humans were supposed to follow. You know, this, this I call it the human physiology diet, this high-fat, high-protein, very low-carbohydrate diet. It is hard to beat for sure. It, it, it's fascinating to me because I'm coming from it from a much different perspective than an endurance athlete. So I'm always keen to learn what I can and glean from you as far as, you know, ways to optimize your nutrition from a performance standpoint. How do you, how do you structure... Like if you get a big run coming up, how do you structure your meal frequency? Uh, what are you eating? Like are you loading a certain micronutrient, you know, certain number of hours prior to the run? What about your recovery meal? Like what are you doing there? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So I, um, you know, I'm definitely not like anti-carb. I do, if I'm doing it in a really long workout or a really like just long run, then what I usually do is the night before I will have like more carbohydrates. And my coach, Zach, he always, he calls carbohydrates like rocket fuel, like something that should be used, you know, sparingly not abused. Right. So my general kind of day to day diet, like, like, let's say I was going to run, like when I ran 30 miles that, um, that, uh, I think it was a Saturday. So, you know, my normal breakfast, I, I make a lot of ground beef. I'll just have some beef with butter. I have about half a cup of blueberries in the morning. Um, for lunch, I'm just protein and fat. You know, we, we invested, we have a, a local farm about an hour away from us. So we got a fourth of cow. So we have a ton of various cuts of beef in nice. our chest freezer downstairs. So for lunch, you know, I'll have more beef. I mean, and, and, and it's not like I'm having two or three ounces of beef. Like this is cooked 10, 12 ounces. This is a lot of beef, a lot of fat, um, you know, more butter. And then in the evening, like, let's say, okay, I got a big run the next day. I'll have like a steak or more beef and then I'll have um, some carrots, you know, I'll have some vegetable that has carbohydrates and then my wife makes like sourdough. So I'll have a pretty solid slice of, of a carbohydrate, like a, like a um, fermented sourdough with butter. And then that next morning before the run, you know, I use a product called uh, generation you can. And then what it is, is it's a slow burning carbohydrate. So it was actually originally developed for kids that had glycogen storage disease, meaning, you know, when they go to bed, their liver doesn't release any glycogen. So they could wake up with like life threatening low blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I love this product. So what it is, is um, it's just non-GMO corn that's gone through a 40 hour cooking and drying process. So what that does is it takes that really linear carbohydrate molecule and it makes it big and branched. 
for reference, like glucose weighs about 2,000 grams per mole. This product weighs 500,000 grams per mole. All that means is that big molecules tend to be in and out of your stomach quickly. So wake up, put that in some water, drink it. It's in and out of my stomach within about 20 minutes. And because it's so big and branched, like, you know, as the enzymes are like breaking that product down as I'm running, it's, it, I, I tell people, it's like, if you were hooked up to like a glucose drip, gotcha. it's like releasing little bits of carbohydrates into your system as you run. But it, because, because you don't get an insulin response, you get a very minimal insulin response. It doesn't stop you from being able to utilize, um, uh, fat. So you, so actually a lot of people will be able to stay in ketosis. You can stay in ketosis while taking a carbohydrate. It's kind of um, profound because you're not getting that insulin response. And so for me, you know, I'm able to take a hundred, hundred calories of a product and go run two hours and feel amazing. Um, and then when I come back, you know, I used to, when I, in my high carbohydrate days, as soon as I was done running, you know, I'd feel probably kind of dizzy, shaky. I would immediately slam like 50 grams of maltodextrin, some whey protein, you know, high, high glycemic drink. Now I usually am just drinking some, you know, water, some electrolytes and, um, most of the time I'll have some carbohydrates in my, um, you know, post run meal, but it's not like it used to be. I mean, it used to have, you know, hundred, 200, sometimes 250 grams of carbohydrates, just this insane amount where now I'm really focused on the protein, you know, like that is my priority. Like I want as much ground beef as possible, you know, as soon as my stomach settles in like an, you know, half hour to an hour, just because one, you know, I need that protein to build my muscles back, but two, I'm depending on gluconeogenesis. I'm depending on that protein to be able to, um, you know, break down into glucose to refuel my muscles because I'm not going to be running for another 24 hours. You know, we have a lot of data that, um, you know, your body can refuel via gluconeogenesis, um, very well with protein. Now, if someone, now if you said, okay, Michelle, you're going to have to go run again in like two hours, you know, that might be a situation where you'd, you'd need that faster acting carbohydrate. But I found that that, you know, that system, and it sounds completely counterintuitive and very, very different than what a lot of runners do, has not only allowed me to, you know, train at a really high level, but has just, well, like I said, made every aspect of my life so much better. Have you ever played around with, like, hooking yourself up to a CGM and just kind of getting some data from a glucose standpoint, like, throughout the runs, throughout the fueling strategies to see kind of what your, your glucose levels are doing? I would love to do that. That no, I haven't. If anybody listening to this wants to send me a CGM, I would be. <laughs> no, I seriously, I'd love to do that because it would be really curious to see like how stable is my blood sugar like throughout runs, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, what is it like pre and post? And um, yeah, that would be that would be really interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm keen. I've been doing a lot of experimentation like that on myself just to kind of see how my lifting, you know, impacts my my blood glucose levels, especially as in the context of you know, higher protein meals, higher fat meals, just different play, playing mm -hmm. with different ratios. So it'd be interesting to get that data from like an endurance athlete standpoint. Yeah. You know, maybe that's something I can look into see if I can partner with somebody. And because I think that would be, yeah, that would be really interesting because, you know, for my diet, when I, the more I run, I would say the more I, I, I utilize, uh, you know, more protein versus, you know, more fat, but you know, and the, even on my very high carbohydrate days, I was looking at percentages and I would say, I mean, right now my training volume is a little less. It's a little lower. We're only doing about 50 or 60 miles a week. We'll get probably closer to 80. Um, you know, I'm still only about like on, on the highest days, like 20% carbohydrates, you know, mm -hmm. where in the past I was 60 to 65%, you know, much higher fat, 50% fat, 55% fat, um, and the rest in protein. 
How many how many calories are you averaging a day? Do you have any idea? You know, I, I don't count calories, which is also kind of liberating to some degree. I did do it one day just to just to kind of see because I was like, well, how much am I eating? And it varies. You know, it's actually it's not a crazy ton. You know, it's usually about 2,500, sometimes up to 2,800, mm-hmm. um, which I used to, you know, once again, when I was eating a really high carbohydrate diet, I, I mean, there were times I had you know, 3,500, 4,000 calories, which, I mean, I don't want to discourage anybody from if that's something that's working for them. But I also think I'm, I'm having so much more quality nutrition, you know, yeah. I, I wonder if that's, that's something that's, that's made it to where I'm able to take in potentially less, less calories. I do think you can consume less overall calories if they're coming from quality sources without really much of an adverse effect. However, on the flip side of that, I feel like you can also have a higher caloric threshold when you're eating, you know, good quality ketogenic foods. Like you can you can eat less calories without an adverse effect and you could also eat more calories without an adverse effect. So you're kind of benefiting from both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, and you know, one thing that's been really wonderful on the the, you know, carnivore um, leaning into the ketogenic type diet is being able to trust my body again. Mm-hmm. Like for so many years, you know, um, coming from an eating disorder background too, like I, you know, I was always hungry and I was always questioning, am I eating too much enough? And now I am, you know, I'm really able to like listen to my body. Like I eat and I, I'm able to stop when I'm full. And for a while that was actually kind of scary because I felt like, man, I'm eating a lot. Like you know, I just sat down and ate, you know, a pound of beef and like four tablespoons of butter. Like this seems excessive, but okay, this is what we're doing. Um, so that's been, that's been really neat. That's been really cool to be able to, to do that. And that took some time, you know, it's not like I did that once and it, everything was fine, but as the weeks have gone on, I've been really able to see like, oh, okay. You know, as my training goes up, I just naturally want to eat more. Um, and I naturally feel hungrier, you know, and I, you know, I shared with you when you came on my, my YouTube that, you know, as, as my training has gone up, um, you know, I tend to, I've been, as I've been hungrier, you know, I've been taking in more sources of fat, you know, I've been eating, you know, been eating your keto bricks and been able to eat more butter and more, more coconut oil and things. So it's just, it's really, when you, when you start to eat in a way that aligns with, you know, how I believe our bodies were supposed to function, you know, you really are able to kind of, to tune in where when you're eating a really high carbohydrate diet, I think that's, I mean, it's impossible because our bodies really weren't designed to regulate that well. Totally agree. I mean, honestly, that was the biggest, the biggest shift for me, uh, you know, kind of beating my eating disorders is when I switched over to keto and I felt just so much more in tune with what my body needed. And then I could just act upon that need, you know, real time and then not have to second guess it. I mean, when you're constantly spiking your blood glucose, insulin levels, and you're eating, you know, five or six, seven meals a day, like a standard bro bodybuilder is, and it's all coming from carbohydrate dense sources. Like you, you just, you're so out of touch with what your body was meant to do that you can't make any accurate informed decisions. Uh, so switching over to keto just totally lifted the veil on that. And I could just know with absolute certainty what my body needed and then act upon it. Yeah. And this is, this is why I, I, I really wish that we, you know, it almost in the hospital setting and other settings, you know, when you talk about the ketogenic diet, people say like, oh, that's restrictive. Oh, you know, you're cutting out all these carbohydrates. But, you know, when you really get down to the science of it, you're, you're eating in a way that, that supports your body, supports your life. I feel like if we, if we started to implement this in the hospital setting, in our schools, um, you know, in our nursing homes and our prison systems, 
would we not see individuals, you know, recover, recover from, you know, whatever they're dealing with? Would we not see kids be healthier? Would we not see anxiety decrease? Would we not see, you know, better behavior? Like, it just, it's really interesting to me that, that there's a lot of resistance when it comes to, um, you know, this way of eating. Totally agree. Like, I don't, I don't understand how people could call it a restrictive diet. I mean, yes, you're restricting, you know, like the carbohydrate as a macronutrient, but when you accept the fact that your body does not demand or require that as a macronutrient that removes that need in the first place but then like i'm just constantly blown away what people are willing to you know put on the line to to consume like they're willing to sacrifice their health to be able to eat you know pop tarts like that just i don't get it you know yeah and one thing that i've i found really interesting um you know as i've since my my anxiety and my mood and everything has improved so much like and I've heard this over and over and over again like we were talking about earlier but I wanted to know like why like okay what what is the exact mechanism and it's actually really really complex the brain is fascinating I highly recommend um, if people are interested in that Georgia E does a great talk you can just mm -hmm. YouTube Georgia E the psychiatrist but one thing I learned that just to kind of break it down into an, an easy analogy is you know when we are trying to like learn behaviors or change behaviors i like to use the example of you know when i was really struggling with my eating disorder you know i there's a statistic it's like 38 to 41 percent of people with eating disorders will relapse and, and and they defined relapse in this study i was looking at to the point of having to go back into treatment um i would say that i mean the number for people struggling with eating disorders that go back into behaviors is closer to 100 percent, and i'm yeah. certainly in that category right um, so when you're, when you're trying to make changes, you know, the brain, the brain can engage in something called neuroplasticity. And what is that? Neuroplasticity means the brain can actually change. It can actually rewire. Meaning if you, know, you learn a behavior, um, you can learn a new behavior, you can change, you know, you don't. And I, I loved that concept when I was going through recovery because it was like, okay, I don't always have to feel this way. I don't always have to act on this behavior, but I was disappointed that, you know, I often did feel really crappy. And I did often go back and engage in really poor behaviors. And what I found is there's a really important neurotransmitter in the brain called glutamate. Now, um, glutamate, I like to think like your brain needs glutamate, but you want to think of like, like if you're driving a car and you need your car to go between like 30 and 50 miles an hour, right? So glutamate puts, you know, enough pressure on that gas pedal just to keep it between 30 and 50 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And when you eat a lot of processed foods, I had no idea when you're eating carbohydrates and a lot of seed oils, what that does is that kind of puts the glutamate pedal to the metal. So all of a sudden you're shifting the, how much glutamate goes into your brain. It can go up to a thousand times what it's supposed to. And when that happens, what it does is it actually decreases. Well, one, it shoots dopamine through the roof. So you get kind of like a pleasure high, but two is it prevents the brain from engaging in neuroplasticity. Um, so you can learn all these behaviors. You know, it's like someone trying to recover from addiction or someone trying to recover from, you know, eating disorder, someone trying to change their behaviors around food. You can learn all these things and do all these tools, but if you're still eating all these processed carbohydrates, it basically prevents your brain from being able to um, implement the change. I found that fascinating, that it's a really a really interesting stuff. So it's like these, these processed foods not only cause inflammation in the body, they're actually damaging the brain. They're actually preventing the brain from healing. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the, some of the research that's being uncovered right now with, with regard to the, how the ketogenic diet has positively impacted, 
you know, patients with, with Alzheimer's, dementia, and, and all these other, you know, mental uh, diseases. It's like there, there's there's got to be something more there than what meets the eye. Like there's so much more involved uh, from a cellular standpoint um, and from a neurological standpoint that that is that's what's got me excited. I mean, when you look at what the ketogenic diet can do from a performance standpoint, from a body composition standpoint, like that is all amazing. But when you look at what the the possibilities are from a neurological standpoint, like that is next level. Yeah, no, there's there's some really interesting research on insulin resistance in the brain. Um, and, you know, I've had people specifically with like mental disorders. And um, you mentioned with like dementia, like severe Alzheimer's disease. There is a lot of um, talk that people you can potentially have insulin resistance in your brain. And what's interesting is that won't show up on a lab test like you. You may not have any insulin resistance in your body, like all of your, you know, your CBG, your blood glucose, all your electrolytes might be totally fine, but um, your brain can't actually utilize glucose. And what happens when your brain can't utilize glucose? Well, you may, you know, have dementia, you may end up getting a stroke, you may, you know, suffer from severe depression. And, you know, what they're finding about this specific type of research is, you know, a lot of people that have, um, you know, mental disorders, it could just be a metabolic abnormality, meaning like a poor diet didn't even cause this. It's not your, it's not your fault. You are bipolar or schizophrenic, or you have severe depression. It's just your brain can't utilize glucose. Kind of like, uh, you think about babies with epilepsy, like Mm -hmm. infants suffer from epilepsy. It's not that they didn't have a bad diet. (laughs) Your mom wasn't spiking their, you know, uh, breast milk with a cola. They just, they, they can't, process glucose. So once they're put on a ketogenic diet, they, they're fine. They don't have seizures. So we're finding, um, Chris Palmer is doing some amazing research in this, this field that putting people with severe schizophrenia or, um, you know, profound depression on a ketogenic diet and all of a sudden they're recovering. It's like when we're providing our brains with the, with the substrates, with the ketones versus glucose, um, it's, it's a game changer. It's a game changer for many people. And I'll also say, I actually recently polled several dietitians um, with much more experience than me. I'm, I've been a dietitian for 11 years, but a lot of dietitians I've worked with have been dietitians for 30 years, 40 years. Uh, and I worked in Colorado, a woman retired there. She'd been a dietitian for 45 years. And so I called and emailed people and I asked them, I said, have you ever had a patient come in with a chronic disease that had been following a ketogenic diet for at least a year? Because I was like, well, if they just started it yesterday, that doesn't count. And the people that responded, everybody said no. One person told me they had a guy come in that had been on a ketogenic diet for 10 years, um, but he was in a bike crash. He was bike racing Mm. (laughs) and he was hit by a car. So, but nobody, these people, when you follow this way of eating, you're not getting diabetes. You're not having heart disease. You're not having any of these issues. So to me, it makes sense to say, well, shouldn't this be the way we recommend our country eats, you know? You would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but like we talked about, that's that's probably that may not happen in you in my lifetime, but but we can certainly continue to get the word out and we can advocate and people who are just like at the end of their rope that are like, Oh, I've tried every diet, I've exercised less, nothing. So it's just, you know, I don't have any willpower, it's my fault. I think we also, unfortunately, and I've seen this happen in the medical community, we, we blame the patient a lot, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, you're just lazy or, oh, you're just whatever, where if we just provided them with this information and said, hey, look, you know, first few weeks are going to be a little rough while your body transitions, but you're going to be able to eat a lot of really tasty food. That is 
taste good. You know, protein, it tastes amazing. You know, what doesn't taste amazing is, you know, plain like pasta, like these carbohydrates in general don't taste amazing. That's why we have to add a ton of sugar, a ton of fat to them, which, you know, potentially makes them really poor for our health. So, yeah, I feel like everybody, I mean, I I don't want to say point blank that the ketogenic diet is the cure all for everyone. Uh, I feel like it's pretty, pretty darn close, but I feel like everybody would benefit from at least giving it an honest try for at least enough time to truly get, you know, decently adapted and experience some of the benefits, you know, six months, like if you just commit to doing it, I mean, honestly, just start with one month, uh, start with, yeah. start with one day. Uh, but, but do that. I mean, there's so many things that, that you notice a benefit in that you would never even have imagined at the onset. Like I didn't anticipate any difference in inflammation, um, or recovery when I heard about the ketogenic diet. Like I didn't know that was even part of the equation. And that was one of the most profound benefits that came from it. Uh, from like a training standpoint, I could train much more frequently because I didn't have the inflammation and the pain at my knees, you know, but, yeah. but people, people benefit and they see these, these changes that like only are, are really going to hold true to them. Like they're only going to really make an aha moment for that individual, but you would never know if you don't just jump in and try it. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. I, I would recommend anybody to give this a try. And I think 30 days is a really good, um, yeah, starting point. Because sometimes I think I found with patients, like like you said, six months would be ideal, but sometimes just that that amount of time sounds overwhelming to somebody, you know? Yeah. So saying, hey, you know, give it 30 days. Um, you know, also really encouraging people to, you know, to kind of like figure out what, what your own personal reason is, like whether it's, you know, I, I, I need to lose weight. I want to be around for my daughter's wedding. I want to, um, you know, cause everybody, I believe everybody has a passion. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. We all have something that drives us, whether it's, you know, business or whether it's family or whether it's, you know, you bodybuilding, run, me running. Um, and when you, when you kind of keep coming back to that every day, you know, this, uh, however you eat, however you live your life should be, aligned in a way that lets you chase your passion and help others. I mean, that's kind of my whole life motto. And if you're, if your diet, whatever you're eating is making you hurt every day and not sleep well and groggy, then, I mean, you can't do either of those. hundred percent agree. That's why it's so much deeper than just a, a nutritional protocol or a, a diet. Like it's, it's a, it's a game changer from a lifestyle perspective. Absolutely. Well, you alluded to a book earlier. You want to kind of close with with talking about that and and yes, yeah, okay. So I started a, <laughs> I started writing a book. This has kind of been my like life project. It's going to be called um, the Dietitian's Dilemma, you know, which is kind of what I what I kind of went through recently. Just saying like, hey, my entire you know body of practice is um, you know really believes in this high carbohydrate diet, and my dilemma was like, this doesn't work. Like, what do I do about it? So my goal is to have that out by uh, the fall. I was going to say September, but the publisher I'm working with sounds says says that's a bit uh, ambitious. So let's just say fall of 2020, and it's going to be short. It's not going to be a very long book, but I, I want it to be really uh, user friendly. It's going to have four basic chapters. It's going to talk about uh, diabetes, mental health, eating disorders, and sarcopenia. It's going to answer a lot of questions about like a, a ketogenic, a low carb, high protein, or higher protein. Um, very high fat diet. It's going to talk about kind of my personal story and experience. And then it's going to have resources. It's going to have, you know, companies and it's going to have, you know, uh, meet our ex coaches, ketogenic coaches, people, things that people can say like, okay, I'm excited about this. I want to reach out to someone. How do I get started? 
And uh, yeah, and I'm going to keep, I'm on Instagram at run, eat, meet, repeat. Um, so yeah, people have questions or if they want to learn more about the book coming out or about me, I'm, I, I love, I love conversations. So I'd encourage anyone to hit me up. Awesome. Well, I'll certainly link out to that. I'm excited for the book. I'm excited to just see you keep spreading the word. I feel like, you know, you're speaking very passionately about this because it's had such a profound impact on you. And that's the cool thing about this whole community. Like it's all made up of people that have benefited from it on a personal level and then are just motivated to share it with others. So that, that is very evident in what you're doing. So hats off to you. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. You thank too. You, I'm so, so inspired. I really appreciate your advocacy. Yeah. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me here and let's definitely keep in touch. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. You bet. Have a good one.